0: Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers.
1: And a very pleasant howdy to you. This is Harry Alexander, and this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Uh, We are live on location. On location? We're usually live. Usually,
2: heart's oh. oh. beating if you call that. Hopefully,
1: away. all right. Anyway, we are live uh, down in Elgin, Arizona, broadcasting from the Elgin Club. And why are we here? You ask. Well, even if why are we faster, here? I'm going to tell you why. Uh, we were asked to. Bunker and I were asked to come down and. Uh, Do a uh, talk to uh, the Elgin Club on the movie Monty Walsh.
2: The Elginers, the
1: original Monty Walsh, which we will do after we do this program, and I am expecting Todd Roberts to call in. But in the meantime, also live, making the trip down from Tucson is a friend of the show, John Kamrada Hi, everyone. <laughs> and John is uh, uh, music, uh, our, our music maestro, if you will. Music maestro, please. He, um, he's, a <laughs> he's, music. He, he's a retired music He's uh, a rule of the kazoo. He's a retired music arranger. Uh, having worked in Nashville with uh, tons of people.
2: You know, he, he didn't work, he worked with so many people. He wasn't a, a lone arranger. The lone arranger. Uh, Thank you so much. We'll be we here always. <laughs> y'all want to just throw out real quick that we're going to probably have a lot of ambient noise. Uh, yes, we are, so because, because, okay. because of the yeah, thing.
1: <laughs> no, because of the. the folks. Well, yeah, we've got uh, lots of stuff going on. We're in a giant hall here. But, uh, you know, this is. I think this, this is fun. This is fun. This is the first time we've taken the show on remote.
3: On the run. On the the (laughs) the road again. On the run again.
1: Willie Nelson. Yeah, here we go. On the run again. Anyway, today's topic, it is uh, Movie Saturday. Yes. And today's topic is going to be McKenna's Gold. And the reason we chose McKenna's Gold is because it is 50 years since that was released. And I really did not need to know that.
2: Happy anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a lot of 50-year-old films this year. But, you know, this is a good choice because it was caught right between the passing of the old style western into the new more adult gritty uh hip type westerns you know the, the same year that this came out wild bunch came out and uh, so it, it it i think it caught a lot of people unawares and and confusing well let's uh, talk about
1: Uh, what this movie's all about. Uh, The the basic synopsis from IMDb is a bandit kidnaps a marshal who has seen a map showing a gold vein on Indian lands, but other groups are looking for it too while the Apaches try to keep the secret location undisturbed. This is a common plot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, very I've never heard this story before in my life. And the movie stars, uh, great Greta, cast, the great a, cast. Gregory Peck, Aye. Omar Sharif, Telly Savalas, Camilla Sparv, Keenan Wynn, Julie Newmar, Ted Cassidy, Lee J Cobb, Raymond Massey, Burgess Meredith, Anthony Quayle, Edward G Robinson, mm. Eli Wallach, Eduardo Chianelli mm-hmm. and Dick Peabody.
2: And, and there, there's Moody, a bunch more too, but those, Moody uh, Diaz, Sherry Morrison, J. Robert Porter, John Garfield Jr., Pepe Callahan is a, I knew him well, Madeline Taylor, Bruce Hobie, uh, Trevor Bardet, the great memorable Trevor Bardet is Yeah. And as a narrator, Victor Joyce. And, and great music. By Quincy Jones. Yes. Yep. you got to hold that microphone.
1: That's like, when okay. you move around, you have to move the microphone, too.
2: Okay. This is, this is not a camera, so you can look at it. Hey, I, never looked at, I never look at that. He thought this is TV. Yeah, see, yeah right. This isn't? Um, yeah, wait no, a minute. No. This is, wait a minute. If that's the case, this is radio. I shouldn't be listening to it. Well, there you go. Uh,
1: 1969, you were working in movies at that time,
2: right, Bunker? Yes. yes I started in 60, I think 64, 63, 64. You
1: didn't work? On this one though,
2: McKenna's goal. No, I wish I had I made a ton of money. But as long as we're, you know, as long as we're naming actors, mm-hmm. I want to name the stunt crew on this because this is a pretty impressive crew. Buzz Henry was the stunt coordinator. Mae Boss, one of the top lady stunt stunt women and tough woman and beautiful too. Uh, Buff Brady, Jim Burke, Joe Canuck, who's was one of Yak's sons. Other one was mm-hmm. Tap, uh, Fred Dale, Peter Dunn, Gene uh, Epper, part of the Epper, the legendary Epper clan. Bobby Heron, a great great stuntman. Terry Leonard, one of the great stuntmen and great stunt coordinators. Our old amigo and good friend Neil Summers, mm-hmm. uh, Buddy Van Horn, and he was also stunt double for uh, on the show. And Jackie Williams, who was one of the top falling horse
3: guys mm-hmm. in the business, that's an impressive. It had great scenery. The whole movie, really. It was were you,
1: were you still working music in '69, John? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you had nothing to arrangement wise. No, 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 you didn't arrange this one.
3: No, <laughs> no, no. I was deranged. Ranger <laughs> Yeah, was range. going. Yeah, Quincy Jones. He did that. That's a interesting thing. Him doing westerns, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did it is. Sinatra yeah, and yeah. Michael Jackson yeah. later on, and uh, a great career and still, still and it active lind- today. And it lended
2: itself well because he kind of had that jazzy Spanish thing in there like right, the, right. and the opening sequence which is amazing Old, uh, old Buzzard Jose Feliciano sings the song right. and it's the buzzard's POV as it's flying over Canyon de che and you start with an opening like that and by God you better be pretty good because it is spectacular. Right. Now the French version Johnny Holiday sang the the theme song. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know they had a French version. Oh, yeah. That's the only one I know of that was dubbed. There's other versions, uh, but they had subtitles. Uh-huh. I mean, it played all over the world. Speaking of all over the world, in India, it was one of the biggest movies ever, all time in India. Oh. It was bigger than Jaws and bigger than Star Wars, and it had a tremendous influence on the Indian film industry which is actually bigger than the U.S. film industry. Or they have cowboys and Indians? Cowboys and Indians. And there you go. And Pakistanis. <laughs>
1: So, what's the deal with this movie? I mean, is it is it everything that the synopsis says it is, it, or is it what it's and, and, and Let me back yep. up. When I, I promoted this uh, movie on our our Facebook page, and, and some of the comments were not
2: very kind mm-hmm. to this movie. That, and that's very very apropos of the movie. One of the things is that because uh, I also. Looked up a, a ton of comments about it, and they were fantastic what they revealed. But the, the overlying or our ar- overarching comment is should be seen, must be seen in widescreen. And the reason that uh, they, people were saying that, and the reason I say it is because this was not made as a regular movie, it was made as a roadshow movie. Is that right? It was made, it was three hours long. It had an entree act, an intermission, and exit music. Hmm. Uh, as As you know, in the music business and in Hollywood, the executives back at headquarters Uh, tried to second guess it, they cut it down to around two hours, Uh, when you do that, you really affect the film in subtle ways that nobody knows seeing it because they don't know what they're not seeing.
3: Mm -hmm. I noticed uh, the movie, Bunker and I were talking about this earlier today, that uh, the movie had a lot of riding in it, but a lot of the sequences It was like uh, the fake horses or what do you call them? The process
2: shots. Process shots. Mm -hmm. That's
3: where they have You know, nowadays they do it with green steering.
2: Back then they did it with rear projection. Mm -hmm. And they would do it either with a treadmill with a live horse on it, which is one of the most dangerous things you can do in picture business. How do you train a horse to do that one? They just run. Carefully, carefully. You well, know, <laughs> you know, they just run. But the well, problem is if it goes off to one side or missteps, God. all of a sudden you've got, you got a You've got, you got a wreck. You've got you know, flying horses and flying animals. yeah. The other process is what, where they would take and have a stuffed horse on a rocker. And you know, a horse has a just like just think just think of dropping one shoulder then the other. That's how a horse moves. The legs lift and drop, lift and drop. Well, in the process shot, the horse walks. It's like it's like going down to Safeway, putting a quarter in the machine, and doing a chase. Right. It's right. just you know it just it never really works. I mean you know and. There's a sad thing, too, is like a lot of times with the process shots, I was watching, uh, what was it, uh, part of Sheepman Man the last night, and there's a shot there with uh, Glenn Ford. He's on a live horse, the horse is moving, they got rear production with the, with the sheep in the back and stuff, and it's a well-done shot. The problem with rear projection is a lot of time you would see that black halo yeah. all the way around him. Uh, well, if, if you're all caught up in it, you might not miss it. Right,
1: you know. right. Yeah, I feel like we had seen a, a a movie, a whistling skull, something. Yeah, whistling skull. Who was it? It was a, a three three mosquitoes movie, I think. Yeah. And And uh, you could tell the way the skull was painted onto the image <laughs> uh. Uh, because there was that black line yeah. there.
2: They just. It looked natural, but it didn't look natural. Well, you're looking at two different... It's it's, Film is two-dimensional unless you've got a 3D process. So everything basically is flat. You don't have depth perception. Well, you've now got two images that are on two different 2D uh, formats. Yeah, well,
1: and and the... it uh, affects
3: people the Lidecker brothers mm-hmm. so. <laughs> and they were the best of the business. Course. they were I, I know I still like right. the people when they were doing these uh, stunts and they would be fighting I always noticed that as a little kid uh they would and I mentioned this to you one other time they wouldn't have their spurs on mm-hmm. then the star would come back on he'd have these big spurs you know <laughs> so yeah or so. sometimes they have spurs on and on and not, not in the other and yeah
2: and uh, you know it's One of the things, too, which I I think about this movie is that, again, like you said, it had this this dichotomy between I loved it, I, I hated it. Well, go back to 1969, 1970, when the film came out. It came out at the same time that The Wild Bunch... A year a year later, butch casting his Sundance Kids, Westerns were transisting. You know, the, the Western that we had grown up on, you know, the traditional Western, the Randolph Scott, the John Wayne, you know, they, they weren't fitting into the modern mentality, you know, they weren't they weren't adult Westerns, they weren't edgy, they weren't psychological, you know, it was good guys and bad guys. Well what happened, Harry? Oh, there we are. Well, what happens is you've got, you've got a film, really, that's caught right in the middle of this transition, a time of change. Mm-hmm. And so, it, consequently, a lot of people, they liked it because it was what they were used to. A lot of people didn't like it, and these are generally the younger ones, because this wasn't what they were becoming used to or what they were expecting. You know, you look at the, like they... One of the great comments all through the the uh, people commenting on it was the special effects. They all said, you know, the effects were cheesy. They were the state of the art for the day, mm-hmm. but they weren't CGI, right. which somebody today looking at the movie would sure. say hey, it's the cheaply cheap made or
3: something like yeah, that. they go, yeah. they go yeah. oh, that's Well,
2: you forget, excuse me guys, this is not, this wasn't 2019 when they made this. Right. Yeah. And so were, that's what they were seeing. Well, one of the comments from uh,
1: a Facebook poster, and this was uh, at Western Writers of America, uh, this poster says, I remember when the film came out, hardly anyone liked it. Word of mouth was just awful, but it was filmed in Super Panavision, great color, mm-hmm. and some magnificent outdoor settings. Right. But even all that couldn't make up for a fantastically awful special effects. <laughs> Actually, the special effects were simply dreadful on a biblical scale. Gross miscasting of about half the movie's actors, including most prominently Omar Sharif, Ted Cassidy, Telly Savalas, Keenan Wynn and a good god, Anthony Quayle, just to name a few. I've not read the book, so I can't comment on the source materials, but Bubba's and Bubba's, this grand spectacle, that's in quotes, of a 1960s film genuinely sucked. (laughs) That's not Boggs, is it? No. It should tell you uh, all you need to know that the original trailer for this crap was almost five minutes long. They knew they had a gigantic turkey and sold the hell out of it with a short subject for a preview. And evidently it worked, cause gullible people all over the country shelled out over $20 million, 1969 dollars
3: to see this waddling beast. What yeah. did that movie cost? It was uh, the budget, and was this Omar out. Sharif, was this one of his first movies? No, this was,
2: see this is one of the things too that threw people off. When the movie came out, all of the women of America were in love with dr Chavago. right mm-hmm. and now he's playing a cheesy right. kind of you know uh, Mexican bandido. and that's what they, that's what they did they didn't go to see they wanted to see the romantic yeah pair. and he did a marvelous job when you yeah. look at it and you compare him to other Mexican bandidos across the board he held his own he, he wasn't he, wasn't spectacular, right. but he wasn't bad either. Right. It's uh, according to IMDb. The uh,
1: estimated box office was uh, seven mil.
3: Seven
2: wow. that's 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 net, not gross. Yeah, it doesn't say, but yeah. that would be net. I would though. assume that.
3: Yeah. Now it's one actor's uh, fee, right? Yeah. One star's fee. <laughs> now you You're just sneezing money for a co-star. <laughs> well, this is another interesting thing. Originally.
2: And see, this might have changed everybody's opinion. Originally, they wanted Quint Eastwood oh, really? for the McKenna part. Mm-hmm. Okay, and about, but he
1: was busy with uh,
2: what movie was your he? Joe Kid with? or something like that? No, no, uh, high about high hang, em H- hang 'em High time. Hang 'em High, planes,
1: High Plains, High Plains. Somewhere in that area, something yeah. like that. Yeah.
2: But uh, you know, it, it's again, you know, I I understand that. That's a perfect, perfect example, though, of somebody looking at it, and he saw it when he was a kid. And he, he has his kid memories, but he's commenting on today on today's values. Right. And right. comparing it you know, it's like you said cheesy special effects, but he, he also gives it away it was on the biblical scale those special effects would have fit into any Cecil B DeMille right. epic which are, are, are all considered classics yeah. maybe some of the actors maybe didn't even go on location yeah. they can do that on No, a, that most of them were there on because location. yeah the uh, one of the other things though that they they uh, it's comment about the actors being miscast that's part of today's uh, mentality and sentimentality that only a Mexican should play a Mexican. Only a black should play yeah. a black. And back in those days, you know, I mean, were, most of the Indians were Mediterranean. Yeah. You know, they were Italians and uh, French from the south, you know. It, it was, but it, that was the system and the yeah. way the system worked. It wasn't dances with wolves, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, you know, you, we, we leap in judging stuff. Uh you know, and 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 we don't we don't do a comparison timeline. Yeah. Where you you go? Okay, it's you know it's like going back and watching a silent movie. My God, there's no sound. Yeah. You know that's, that's why they that's call not, it silent. Yeah. But you know, and some of the greatest movies actually ever made and would stand up to some of the modern classics right. were silent movies. Right. Right. But, but it's, it's it's sensibilities and lack of I think a lot of people have a lack of imagination, too, when it comes to the time when you sit down in the, in the theater seat and you're supposed to turn off the objective
3: yeah, yeah. and become... Entertainment. Of, Entertainment. That's exactly. the whole thing. It's not a documentary.
1: Yeah. We are talking about McKenna's Gold on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It is 50 years since that movie was released. Really didn't need to know that. Yeah. Bunker de France and I are here. Actually, we are out of the studio. We're on location at Elgin, Arizona at the Elgin Club. And uh, we'll tell you why we're doing that in uh, just a little bit. John Camarada is with us as well. We will be back with much more of Emil Franzi's
0: Voices of the West right after these very, very important messages. The Tucson Trafford Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at tucontrapandskeet.com. Seven 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 nineteen eleven.
4: Hello, friends. This is Laura Darnell, the host of Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. Each episode will cover a person, place, or event from Kansas City's history. Homegrown KC can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. For additional information about the show, please visit my website, HomegrownKC.wordpress.com.
1: You hit Red Gap just in time to see the end of another
2: attempt to establish law and order. I'm going over to the jail and take over.
0: There goes the one man that'll show the gun-toters of Red Gap just where to get off at. It's the
4: Voices of the West.
1: on AMO Franzi's Voices of the West. It's uh, Saturday, the last Saturday of the month, and uh, we are doing our usual movies. And uh, this particular or movie... unusual uh, movie, or m- Yeah. <laughs> We're doing uh, McKenna's Gold. It's uh, 50 years now that this movie uh, has been released. Bunker de France and I, Harry Alexander, are here in Elgin, Arizona. We are uh, on location. Uh, Bunker and I were asked to come down to Elgin and speak to the Elgin Club uh, and have Chuck Wagon dinner, too. Yeah, we get mad. You know, we get mad. I I, I would go anywhere for a free meal. You got that right. (laughs) Um and we're gonna be talking about they're gonna be showing the original Monty Walsh movie uh and uh we're gonna be talking about that ahead of ahead of the movie. Um, so that's Yeah, we're
2: gonna spoil it for him.
1: Yeah, we're gonna do big time <laughs> spoils. Anyway, that that's why we're here in Elgin today. Um John Conrada is with us too, but somebody
2: he went he, he skipped out the door for a second to take care of an errand for Harry and yeah, he'll, hopefully he'll be right back. Hopefully it will Here he comes, here he very he comes.
1: Okay. I guess we'd have it. We don't have it.
2: We do. Not. Ah, we uh, do yeah, have
0: it.
2: <laughs> yeah, we had, we had a, a slight uh, hang-up. Todd Roberts is supposed to call in, yeah. and, and we haven't heard from him. So I need to get in touch with him. So Harry sent for his and cell is, phone. That oh, that going it. to be dialing now. Oh, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, well okay. let's see. What else? All have? right, you
1: guys go ahead while I try and get a hold of uh, Todd. Again, we are talking about McKenna's Gold, released 50 years ago, 1969.
2: Well, Shall we talk about the locations?
3: Sure. That's this a, thing had a ton of locations. Was it Glen, Glen Canyon Dam or something up there? Well, okay.
2: It was up in Oregon at Grants Pass, Josephine County on the Rogue River. In Arizona, it shot at Chinle, Apache County, uh, Canyon de Chez National Monument. Oh. Shot at Kanab, uh, Kane County. Uh, also in Arizona, was, they shot at Happy Jack, Red Rock State Park. Sedona, Old Tucson, Canyon Diablo, Oak Canyon, Oak Creek Canyon, excuse me, uh, Painted Desert, Ganado, Palatin, uh, Heritage State Park, and uh, Kenichi, one of the little Indianville towns. And then also part of it that you saw in the movie was from England, and it was the high force waterfall, uh, County Durham, a lot more locations than most movies do. Yeah, well, no, wow. not, not necessarily. But but remember again, this is a big roadshow movie when they're shooting it, right? Not as it came out. And but the interesting thing what, what, is, what do you mean
1: by the roadshow?
2: Roadshow. Well, that's like that's like what the Oklahoma was. Okay. It's a big. It has an it has an opening, uh, entree act, which is music. You sit there like you would say in a live play. Intermission and everything. Oh. Intermission oh, okay. in the middle, okay. and then exit music. Okay. Mm. And it added to the run time, or the theater time, okay. which wasn't popular with the distributors because they wanted to turn around to get
3: more people mm-hmm. in. How long was the time on this, Harry? Uh, was, I think it's two two hours? Around two hours. I had it down here somewhere, but... I, but here that's we, a pretty good
2: time oh for wait, here we go. major motion. Here Thank we you. go. It was 128 minutes, other words, two hours and eight minutes. Oh, it was uh, uh, released by Columbia, it uh, was shot in CinemaScope, color, uh, and some versions were actually shorter. Which is, well, that's what happened like with Wild Bunch. When it came out, you know, it was, it was hugely popular, but the theater owners were complaining because of the link. They wanted one more showing, and so they went in and really hacked it down. And that was the, that was the version actually that a lot of people saw.
1: I believe we now have the amenable Todd Roberts, should be with us. Hello. There you are. Yes, I
5: am. I'm here.
1: (laughs) Where
3: were you? You weren't out there uh, picking plums, were you? Nah, he he didn't forget. We were looking for McKenna's gold. We couldn't find it. I'm still panning for it.
5: Yeah, I was looking for McKenna's Gold. Um, I didn't find it, but I did find uh, Julie Newmar. Uh, and, uh, that's a good catch. Good why does that not surprise I will tell my Julie Newmar story today. Please, please yeah. tell our Julie. That's
2: the main reason we're doing the show, is Julie Newmar. So go ahead with the Julie Newmar story. He, he, he and Francie would have a, uh, a total thing about yeah. this, I know. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I could have, have, yeah. have a total thing, too.
5: Yeah, well. Go ahead, go ahead, Todd. Well, John, hello, how are you? Good, how are you? So, years ago, I was at a uh, 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 opening a party uh, for uh, uh, the photographer um, um, Robert. um, Oh my God, Sorties. Harry Langdon. Excuse me, here, Harry Langdon. So um, he was a famous Hollywood photographer, and I went to his party, and um, we were old friends, and and I walking around and. And there's this very uh, attractive, white-haired woman standing with a drink in her hand, and she looks at me, and she goes, hello. And I thought to myself, well, this is a little different. Hello, how are you? And we started talking, and I'm talking to her, and I'm looking at her, and I'm saying to myself, my goodness, I, I really know this face, and I know this voice. And we start talking, and she's telling me about all the times that harry langdon had photographed her uh and for sittings and uh i realized it's julie newmar catwoman who's also the indian uh woman in this film and um i have to tell you gentlemen that uh, she was 85 but uh she uh she was a lot younger in spirit and um had some stories to tell me that i can't repeat over the radio but uh we had a lot of fun and she uh enjoyed making this film but uh also of course enjoyed uh playing catwoman for all those years on uh, batman she did a lot of movies didn't she she was she was also a um she she was a a college athlete she um she she was a uh, here in Southern California. She was an athlete in high school and then on to college. And um, she, her father was desperately, uh, desperately uh, disappointed in her when she said, "I'm going to leave athletics and go into modeling." Uh, but it was a, a a great career for her, and did, she did very well.
2: You know, there's a, there's a great story about you know the pool scene, which I think every young man, every virile young man of that era. We'll never forget. But when they were getting ready to shoot it, you know, shoot it, you know, the script says that her and Omar Sharif are naked in the pool swimming and she goes well i'm not doing this naked so they got her body stocking and they get they get the body stocking they get ready to shoot and she says no no i'll just do it in my panties so she drops the body stocking and then she goes into the water pulls her panties off and says no i'll just do it the way it's supposed to be done and it was awesome and if you ever saw the playboy layout from that you're still trying to shove your eyeballs back <laughs> in your head. That's all I can say.
3: Well, who was the other lady in that movie? Shumia I mean, Sparve? Yeah. Was she? Uh, did she do a lot of movies, or was this her own She one? did.
2: She was a European actress. She did. She did a lot of stuff in Europe. Uh, she did a few over here. But uh, you know that was the era of all of the European blondes coming over here, mm-hmm. and some of them did quite well, and others were here, did two or three pictures, and either married a, a movie a studio head or they went back to uh, Sweden or Paris or wherever the heck they came mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
5: don't see what else. Yeah. We well, and it's a, of course I, I would have to believe that Carl Foreman who also was the producer uh, of High Noon, had some influence on him because he spent a lot of time in Europe, especially in England, and uh, you know, this film has a tremendous cast from Mm -hmm. Burgess Meredith, Anthony Quayle, and Edward G. Robinson, and Eli Wallach, and Lee J. Cobb, and Raymond Massey, it's just, it's amazing. That uh, uh, this picture has this cast is just overbound, overbound, overabundance of a cast.
3: Did you know Gregory Peck or uh, Omar Sharif or your dad, either one? I mean, you knew your dad. Well, I, didn't mean- uh,
5: <laughs> I knew Gregory Peck because I knew his. Well, <laughs> I knew his, I knew his daughter, um, who dated a very close friend of mine for uh, several years. They made a film together, in fact, and um, the time that I met him, he could not have been more gracious, uh, a tremendous gentleman, first class, uh, articulate, and uh, very affable, and not standoffish at all, mm-hmm. like many people that you meet in Hollywood mm-hmm. can be. How about Omar um, Sharif? Just as a side note for Omar Sharif, you know, he was a world champion gin rummy player. Right. He all over the world. World. He made a lot of money and he lost Tremendous, a lot of money, yeah. right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I seem to remember he did a newspaper column,
2: uh, Sharif on bridge or, yeah. or something of that nature. I, I I do remember that. He wrote he wrote in a lot of uh, mag- magazines that about bridge, mm-hmm. and he was considered an a, a expert yeah. and a champion. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, you talk
1: about Gregory Peck, yeah. and according to what we've seen on IMDb, at least, not that that's accurate but uh, apparently uh, Peck did not want this role and he had to be talked into it that's interesting
5: well
2: go ahead Todd
5: well it's just funny how you know um, often there are actors that need to be talked into roles they they're not mean you, know, uh, you can't expect them to have the best judgment mm-hmm. sometimes they might be too close to it or too subjective. In the view of something but I think it's important to remember that you know um, Gable didn't want to do Rhett Butler either and gone yeah. with the wind mm-hmm. so and there's so many other so many examples of this over the years and this is just one of those I, I've always felt this this film still holds up and mm-hmm. you know I I love the, the the little interjection of uh, the Lost Dutchman's mind kind of legend in the film and all the other parts of it. I think it it still holds up. It's a lot of fun. I don't think you can forget either that Will Henry wrote the novel, mm-hmm. uh, who was a great Western writer, and um, you know uh, Quincy Jones did the music. Right. And the funny thing is, is Carl Foreman's. Producing partner on this film was Dimitri Tompkins right? Youngkin, oh, wow. Who had been one of the greatest music conductors was, in film. Was he just the
3: supervisor history. on that, or He's, what? he, well, he in was in the Hall of Fame. I know, no, but on the movie. Well, he was, he was the, one of the producers. Oh, he was one of the producers. Wow! He was one of, he the, was the, head one head of the producers. Head wow. cheese.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: We talk about continuity. so how
5: he had left music and gone to producing is a funny, wow. funny thing.
1: We talk about continuity, and speaking of continuity, uh, it's time for one of those commercial breaks again here. Uh, but when we come back, I want to talk about some of the continuity that's, that's always a thing when I watch a movie. Uh, <laughs> looking for those errors, and uh, there's plenty of them in this one. So, Todd, hang on the horn. We'll be back with uh, much more of Amel Franzi's Voices of the West right after these very important messages. Do not, I repeat, do not go away. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. First, contact the Polash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management
4: Company, property managers you can trust. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. He recently served two tours in Afghanistan, where he received a bronze star for heroism and a purple heart for injuries sustained in combat. He recently left military service, and now he's unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Many of our men and women in uniform gave up good jobs and careers to join the military and take up the fight for freedom around the globe. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Please join with the American Legion, the nation's largest veteran service organization, in recognizing that veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. The training and experience they receive in the military is second to none. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help.
1: have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, Rescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's Horse Rescue.org.
3: Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movies Out podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movies Out podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like The Alexa Quote of the Show, and may the ought
2: to be ever in your favor,
3: and have a From the Cutting Room Floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions, such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So... After finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Out. Until then, and that's a wrap.
4: There's one of the Diamond T boys down there. Nice shooting, kid. Yeah, that's only the beginning. Now I'll tell Tim O'Brien it was one of the Howard boys that killed one of his men. Just the voices at the West.
1: back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West and uh, that of course is the theme to uh, the High Chaparral and obviously, coming. obviously we have to play that because Mr. DeFrance worked on 52 of those and he'll walk if I don't play
2: it so. that's a long ways back to Tucson too <laughs> yeah by golly it is huh <laughs>
1: Uh, Todd Roberts is with us from Hollywood, John Camrata is here with us, and uh, Bunker de France and Harry Alexander, we're live at the Elgin Club in uh, beautiful Elgin, Arizona. Where is Elgin? It is southeast of Tucson. Mm -hmm. Oceania Valley. Oceania Valley, It's, it's a beautiful place.
3: The home of the town in Red River. Yeah, and right where they did OK Corral, yeah, Oklahoma, right down the road,
1: yeah, cross train from Gun Hill, and and I'm sure Marty Walsh is in there, we're going to be talking about well, actually,
2: Monty Walsh. Was he driving down to 83 down here? Yeah, uh, the, the shot with tra- uh, Trooper Joe Hook when he goes over the cliff. Yeah, yeah. That shot, they actually had a camera car on the regular road shooting him as he's riding along. Nice the trip. Yeah.
1: continuity. Uh, it's a favorite topic of mine um, in, in movies, especially. Uh, it's I like breakfast too. Yeah, I like some of these, uh, <laughs> this one here, the cloud formation while jumping the earthquake chasm. <laughs> Apparently there was something wrong with that. Shadows on Prairie Dog changing, depending on whether it's a long
2: shot, he's in full sun,
1: or a close shot, his face in part
2: shadow. Well, this is one of here's one of the sun shots too. You know, as we all know, as the sun gets higher, the shadows get shorter. Yes. In this movie, as the sun gets higher, the shadows get longer. We got the you know, Spider Woman rock going across. Right, the right, thing. right, right.
1: That's that is, is exactly one that, one of the things that says. The sequence it says. of
3: them riding, coming out when everything was falling down. That was a great sequence. And you know, you think about that. Some
2: of that was done, you know, on actual location. Right. Some of it was done on stages. You know, when you had the, the rocks and stuff. And in either case, you're talking about some really serious horsework. Really you know well, in one of the anachronisms
1: according to the IMDB here it says during the chase toward the river camera vehicle tire
2: tracks are visible in a shot of the Indians I mean come on you know yeah, this is, this is very valid here but there's a great when uh, when Cheyenne Autumn came out yeah uh, I think it was Vincent canby you I was one of the big big New York film critics criticized the movie. For the, for the tire tracks in the movie. <laughs> the only problem was he's sitting there watching the travois going across the desert making the tracks.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well. McKenna's gold. Like it or not, yeah. uh, lots of people do like it. Lots of people don't like it. It's polarizing. To be honest, I have not seen the movie, so I, I'm going to reserve comment on whether I like it or not. It's been yeah. a long time since It I was seen not it. something that had interested me to go see. So, in uh, uh, 1969, I was looking at a, watching a lot of movies, but uh, well, this was not one of them.
2: That, this is a perfect example, too, of the pre-release talk. There was so much negative pre-release talk about this movie when it came out that a lot of people didn't go, you know, they didn't make the decision up for themselves. They let. Some some pundit, some talking head like we have today, make the decisions for us. Well, one of the reasons that uh, Bunker and I are down
1: in Elgin uh, at the Elgin Club is uh, we're going to be doing a talk on uh, uh, before the showing of the original Monty Walsh. The uh, club is uh, hosting a dinner, and uh, then the movie, and fun and it, all kinds of entertainment, including us, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, Todd's uh, dad, Bob Roberts, is uh, Bobby Roberts was the producer of the um, original Marty Walsh. In fact, both of them. And that's another reason Todd is here is to talk about yes.
3: Motty
2: Walsh. Let's segue to that. Let, See what in great segue. Let
3: Todd just. Take us into Money Land. Let me ask Todd one question. When did they start filming it, and when did they fil- finish the movie? Did you
1: catch the question? When did they start filming, and when well, it did it was,
3: finish?
5: Yes, it's, it was started in. Um, it was started in um, summer of '69, and um, we it was shot all the way through into the fall of '69. I was with my dad. On the set at CBS Radford, um, here in Los Angeles, in the San Fernando in the Studio City area, which is where they shot the uh, the horse uh, destroying the town with Lee Marvin and Monty Walsh riding the, that bucking bronco, and he destroys basically the entire town. And you said the, they had the many road, horses for that. Uh, that was shot here in L.A. in late fall. Um, in fact. Uh, the horse uh, and the stunt rider fell off. Um, that part of Radford is bordered, that studio, CBS Radford, in the back is bordered by the L.A. River. And the horse went through one of the buildings with the rider on it, and they went over the, uh, the retaining fence and fell into the L.A. River, which was dry at the time and the horse broke a leg and the rider broke an arm and uh um they had to put the horse down
2: i might mention that was
5: late late way early into the morning like three o'clock in the morning
2: i might mention too that the la river in that particular section in fact all through the san fernando valley is a cement river, so it wasn't. It wasn't a soft landing anyway. Uh, Floyd Bays was the primary saddle bronc rider in that one, and there was a dozen of the top uh, PRCA. Uh, saddlebrock riders uh, used with the sequences throughout, they had dozens of horses, uh, Henry Wills had his falling horse, Kilroy, on there, and they had to to paint up half a dozen horses or more to look like the horse, because, you know, horses are just like people, they come in all shapes and sizes and colors, but that is one of the great all-time movie bucking horse sequences, uh, bar none.
3: Was Lee Marvin on any of that? Was yeah, any of that uh, horse bucking or anything?
5: Only really when, uh, when you sober. see him get on uh, a horse in the corral. Right. Right. But they switch it out to a horse that's a buck, a, a real bucking bronc, once it starts moving.
2: Yeah, and that was, if I remember right, that was Andy uh, Bucking Stock on that.
3: Did they get a, a stuntman to do those things, or did they get oh, like yeah. rodeo cowboys? Well, they did both. Oh, did they?
2: Because a lot of the stunt guys are, are rodeo cowboys, too. Yeah. Uh, Floyd Bays, who had a terrific career picture, was one of the top stuntmen for movies.
1: One of the interesting trivia ports. Hello. And one of the interesting trivia things about this movie is that um, uh, Chicago film critic Gene Siskel only gave this movie one star. Ebert gave it four. What are your thoughts on that, Todd?
2: Siskel <laughs> didn't like anything that was an
5: American. Well, you know, um, I I think, uh, you know, I'm a little prejudiced. I, I think, uh, and I think what helps me uh in my opinion is the fact that this film was voted uh the sixth best western of all time Mm -hmm. by the cowboy the cowboy association of Mm -hmm. america which is made up of working cowboys um if you talk to most working cowboys and we have one on the show being uh bunker and we used to have another one being uh joe um you know they look at most westerns uh they nick they call them odors. Mm-hmm. O mhm o a t e r oater odor, uh, as in oats uh it's a derogatory term or at least a a, a a term that makes fun of the western genre or western film uh the same way that uh they make fun of uh, soap operas that women watch um mm-hmm. most cowboys don't like them because they find them to be either the lead actor or actors don't know how to ride. The story is completely um, too far-fetched or too off. And, um, you know, the tack isn't right or whatever the case is, maybe the hats aren't right. Hats aren't right. And so on, which is what working cowboys pick up on. Um, And this isn't. And it's also... Looked at, I, it's funny, I've spoken to many people over the years, uh, including, uh, uh, for instance, Charlton Heston. And when I met him, I said, you know, you, you, you made a lot of films that influenced my life, uh, including, um, Will Penny. And he said, uh, I, I love that film. And he, I, he looked at me and he said, oh, you're one of the five people who saw it. <laughs> and I, we laughed and he, he, he turned around and then he turned on me and he said well but your father made one of my favorite films Bonnie Walsh mm, and uh, a compliment like that coming from him meant a lot yeah, sure. I think that he's a you know and I've heard this from many people from uh, other actors, directors it's funny at the time I met George Cosmatos the director of Tombstone uh, we were sitting there talking and he didn't, we, we hadn't really been introduced yet, and I was sitting with a group of people that we had that were common friends, and I was kind of staring at him. I was a big, big smile on my face, and he looked at me and talking to me like he's a, a, a Greek uh, uh, shipping magnet, and he says, why'd you smile at me? I said, because you made one of my favorite films, and he said, you know my films? I said, yes, very much. Uh he said, which film? I said, um well I'll, I'll I'll have you guess. My son's name is Wyatt and my dog's name is Doc Holiday. Oh, you like blue guess. Song. I said, Yes, very much. It it's a it's a big it's a big thing. You might even you might even uh, insult me and call me an irpy and He laughed at me. He says, I don't understand these people, the irpy and the, the irpy and the Clinton people. Who, do, what are they fighting? If you want to fight, fight. Get the guns and fight. But otherwise, enough with the talk. And we laughed and he, he, and then a mutual friend piped up and said, Well, Todd's dad made money Walsh. He goes, Your father made money Walsh? I said, Yes, he did. This is a film. This is a real film. And he went on and on and on about Lonnie Walsh. And I almost to a point where I felt kind of conscious, you know, self-conscious about it. But he paid it tremendous compliments. But over the years, many people have done that. And, you know, I take my dad always said he had made other more films that were more successful. But there was never a film that he felt more pride about than mm-hmm. this film.
3: That would be considered a classic, wouldn't you say? It is.
1: Yeah. It is a classic. We're talking with Todd Roberts about think- uh, about Monty Walsh and uh, Bunker de France, and is here, and so is John Camarata. I'm Harry Alexander. This is... AMO Franzi's the Voices of the West. We've got one more commercial break to deal with here, and then we'll be back right after these very important messages. Stay
0: tuned. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Ol Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters. And and archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrap dot com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome.
5: Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org.
0: do. do 777-1911
4: what's your name cassidy
0: hop along cassidy
4: that's right i've heard you're supposed to be quite a fellow up north but you don't stack up deuce high down here it's the voices of the west
1: We are back on Emil Francis of Voices of the West, and uh, a little bit of uh, Ray Whitley and the Six Bar Cowboys. Come on boys,
3: we're riding to town. Hey Todd, I'd like to ask you a question, were you uh, at any of the recordings with John Barry when he did the uh, the music for this?
5: Todd? You know, I wasn't at any of the recordings, but I was, uh, he came to my house many, many times. because my dad was close friends of his um and you know also um he 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 was an old friend of my dad's and he also was um his writing partner uh was um um oh my goodness i apologize uh his writing partner was um don um um oh uh, uh, david Oh, good. And, um, they, you know, they wrote the song, and he came to more than one Christmas party, was an old friend of my dad's, and in fact his son, Hal David's son, Jimmy David, worked for my dad for years. So we had a real relationship with him as well, and, you know, um, he was a, a first-class, both of them were very first-class.
1: In case you're wondering why all this noise is happening here this background noise uh, bunker and i are at the uh, elgin club in elgin arizona we're live on location here uh doing a talk uh, they're going to be showing moddy walsh this evening the original one and uh, bunker and i are going to be doing a talk on uh, that movie todd your dad made the second Marty walsh as well and w- with uh, tom Selleck. And some will say that that one is better than the one with Lee Marvin. What? That's what some will say. What? I am disagreeing with what some will say. That was
3: made for TV, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: I don't know if that Turner was made for TV. made for television. 2003, I know that. The point being, uh, the movie was remade. Was it necessary to remake this movie? And, and let me preface this because Bunker and I have had this discussion many a time I say why ruin a good thing this the second movie the second Monty Walsh I think is just as good as the first but I think the first is much better
5: <laughs> well uh, I appreciate that very much uh, my good friend um, my dad would say the same um, I think it's important Remember, I've told this story many times. That uh, my dad uh, <clears throat> got a call that Tom Selleck and his partner wanted to remake Monty Walsh, and they uh, and my dad gave them their blessing and gave them the blessing, and they eventually sent over a, 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 my dad offered a script, he said, you want my shooting script? They said, no, 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 we've got a guy already ready to go, he's going to write it, we'll send you over a copy, so as soon as that copy was written, they sent it over to my dad, uh, my dad would most often on a project when he would work on it, he would get the script after he read it. He would give it to me, and usually he'd say something about, it. you know, oh Todd, you got to read this script; it's really good." Or, "Ooh, you know, Todd, I'd have you read this script, but it's horrible," um, and and you know, it's a waste of your time. But I want you to read it anyway. Um, and this time, my uh, my dad got the script. It didn't even call me and tell me he had it. I went over to their house just by chance to do some other things, and I saw him. And he said, "Hey, uh, here's the money. Wall script. Uh, read it, uh, and let me know what you think." And he didn't say anything. He gave me no lead-up, nothing. And I thought it was very strange. And um, so I started reading it, and um, I got about ten pages in, and I thought it was very weak. To say that, and I'm being kind when I say that, it was very weak. Um, and i kept reading it though and um, my dad called me and said uh, did you uh finish the script and i said well dad i got to be honest with you it's it's really really weak i think and he said you do i said uh, yeah i think it's really weak and he said Wow. I think it's just absolutely god awful horrible. <laughs> and I listened to and he used some other words which I won't share here on the radio, but exquisite that he said. And I said, You do. He goes, yeah, I, 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 I got about 10 pages in, and I stopped. And I said, like, why'd you have me read it? He goes, well, you know, first of all, i like to pay you back for some of the things you did to me as a teenager. <laughs> Number two, um, you know, I, I, I just wanted to make sure wasn't uh, completely off the mark, and um, he uh, he gets a call from them, and um, he said uh, they asked him what he thought, and he said. Uh, yeah. Well, fellas, I, I think it's pretty weak. And they said, you do? Uh, and he said, yeah, I do. And they said, so do we. Can we borrow your shooting script? Oh, my God. Oh my God. Did you my he, he called me and he said, John, you got to take my script, get a copy, and go deliver it by hand out to them. And I did. And uh if you look at the film um, it's the same film mm-hmm. there's an opening scene that's different and original yeah. Yeah. there's a scene in the middle that's different and original and then there's a scene at the end which is original mm-hmm. but other than that it's the same yeah. you know do i think it needed to be made no um, i think i've told this story in the past uh Our friend uh, uh, Wilfred Grimley who has made a couple westerns with Tom and has made other westerns, It's a great cowboy. Uh, Tom called him up and said, "Uh, Wilfred, get your hat, we'll make another western and he said, what are you going to make? His response was, we're going to remake Monty Walsh. The story I've heard, Wilfred Brimley responded with, uh, what gives you the right to remake Money Walsh? Oh, I believe it. And uh, at that point, Tom said... Uh, well, I guess you won't be on this one, uh, Wilford. And uh, I, you know, and he wasn't in the film. Yep. So, you know, it's funny you say that. A lot of people have said that to me. I will tell you though that this Tom Selleck edition of Monty Walsh uh, premiered on TNT. It got great, great reviews, um, and it also was the only time in history. That TNT has been number one not just for a, an evening or a weekend, but for the entire month. Mm-hmm. It's the only time in history they've ever been number one in cable ratings for straight 30 days the entire month that is the month that it premiered well and it that's three times that weekend yeah and then a couple other times during the month that's a testament both so to that for yeah
1: me. that's a testament to uh, uh the production and to your dad as well as to everybody involved in that guys we're we're out of time here Things are starting to uh, get loud here. They're getting raucous (laughs) At the Elgin Club. So uh, we need to uh, say that's it. We need to say adios. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, amigo. We appreciate it. Can you hear me, Todd? Uh, Here you are. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right, Take we'll care, talk John. at you again. Care. John, thank you so much thank for being with you. us thank today. Bunker. thank you. Thank you, man. And uh, that's about all the time we've got for this edition of Abel Franci's Voices of the West. Thank you, Club. Thank you very much, Elgin Club. Next time we get together, we're going to talk about Cowboy comic books. Yes. Right here on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Until next time. in Cutsworth. So long. So long.